Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Pastor Derek Dunn, lead pastor of Alive Church, Orange County. To find out more about Alive Church or Pastor Derek, please visit alivechurchoc.org or derekdunn.org. You can also follow us on your favorite social media platform at Alive Church OC or Derek Dunn OC. Well, I'm just going to jump in this morning. We're, we're going to be uh, starting a new series, and uh, I was kind of looking at what to title it, and I kind of came up with this title, Original Design. Yeah. Original Design. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are God's original design. Well, you can say that by faith. Sometimes you look and say, well, come on, you're, 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 you're coming back into that mold. You're coming back into that design. We're all a work in progress. How many of you are a work in progress? But we, we need to know what is that work that God's wanting to do in us? What is the image that God has for you in your life as a son, as a daughter of God? What does that look like? What kind of life is that an expression of as we live? And so we need to have a picture because we're on a journey, amen? The Bible says God is bringing us from faith to faith, from glory to glory, from increase to increase. Come on, God's still working in us and he's still working on us. Come on, tell your neighbor, God's still working in you and on you. Come on, you're watching online, God's working in you, he's working on you. But what is the work? Sometimes we can, we can have the wrong image and we live in a, a day where people are struggling with identity. Are you here? What does it mean to be American? Right now there's this huge divide going on. What does it mean to be a man and be a woman? You know, when I was growing up in, 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 you know, elementary school, it was science. It was about chromosomes. Come on. It was like, now, but people are confused on their identity. What does it mean to be an American? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What's the role that we have? And and we've got to go back to the original design because who created us? God. So if you want to know the original intention, you got to look at God. It's like a painter. And I, I saw that, you know, a painter, they've done this art show and they put all the paintings together and they went to the art show and, and the person was walking them around and looking at all the beautiful art and the painter went and he looked at the picture. He said, it's upside down. And he had to turn it upside down. And the person didn't know why. They didn't know the original design of the creator. And so we can turn things upside down. We can kind of want to redefine how things work, how how we do church. Come on, we we like to take control of things and, and mess it up sometimes. We like to do it our way. We like to turn things upside down. And that's the problem with the human race. What do we do? Adam in the first, in the garden, the first man, he messed things up. And what was really the issue was trust. Can we trust God's original purpose, design, intention for us and rest in that? And as we rest in that, there's freedom. As we rest in that, there's strength. As we rest in that, there's joy. But sometimes we're trying to take things in our own hand. Or as parents, we've got a design for our children. We got real quiet here. And we're like, you're going to be this. And we try to design them and mold them and make them and put them in. You know, it's like when we were growing up, we ever had Mr. Potato Head. Remember Mr. Potato Head? And come on, what are you doing? You're trying to put all the little pieces in and put it together. And when you're kids, you're putting the nose where the mouth should be. You're putting the ear in all the wrong place. You got it all messed up. But what are you learning? You're learning about the original design. About God's original design. Some of us, come on, we got our ear where our mouth should be. Come on. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. 
we're not functioning according to the body, or we're in the body and people are like, I'm, a, I'm an apostle. You ain't no apostle. Are you here? You're a self-proclaimed apostle. Paul said, I'm not an apostle by the will of man or by my decision. It's by the purpose of God. And Well, I'm a prophet. You know, just because you can prophesy doesn't mean you're a prophet. We're all prophets. In the sense that we can prophesy, not a fivefold prophet, but can we all prophesy? Yes. What does it mean to prophesy? To know what God is saying. If you're proclaiming what God is saying, and we, the Bible says, desire that you might all prophesy. But that doesn't make you a prophet just because you've got a gift. Are you here? And so we, we've got to understand God is, is, is the designer. Jesus is the head of the church. If we can come in alignment with that and just rest, just be what God's called you to be. If you're an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, you don't need to blow your own horn. You don't need to put five titles on your business card to feel important. You know, come on, I'm in the green room and people are all passing their business cards. I forgot my business card. Why? We don't have to, to, to get that way, and that's the secular world of what we're trying to do, to get influence and all that. If you, if, you, if you have a design, if you are something, what do you do? Just be it. Yeah, Just be who God's called you to be. Just do what God's called you to do. And people will tell you, are you here? Yeah. If you're a woman and you walk in God's design, you're going to be a woman. Is that defined to one thing? Of course not. As a man, is it defined to one thing? Of course not. We, we have to understand that God is the one who's given us original intention. And so Paul, he, he begins to look because sin has kind of messed us up from God's plan. Sin kind of muddies us up. And so sometimes, you know, when you're filled with mud and you look at someone, you don't, tell, you don't know what they are. Because what our character, the, the, the characteristics God's put in us is it gets all messed up. But Jesus came to wash us clean. Come on. His blood was shed to wash us clean so that we can encounter him, that we can know who we are, that we can come into our purpose, into our identity. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14, Paul says this. He prays this prayer. He said, for this reason I bow my knees in prayer to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you would be rooted and grounded in love. So what is he saying? He said, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, I want you to begin to, to have a revelation of who you are in the family of God. That, that God would grant you the riches of his glory. You would know what, what he has paid the price for for you. That you would be strengthened with might by the Holy Spirit. Are you here? And so among the world's religions, Christianity is the only religion that reveals a relationship with a family, where God is Father. As Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray our Father. He didn't just pray my Father. He said, our Father. And and God wants to reveal himself as the Father. And many times the, the people in the New Testament in that time and even in our day, they don't have an understanding of the Father. They just think the Father is the judge. Better be careful, God's going to get you. Or we tell our children, God's watching. Better watch out. You know? And we give them a fear, just like we give them a fear of authority. You better care. I'm going to call the police on you. And what do we we get? We get a fear whenever we see the police. We're like, you know, you see police, everybody gets nervous. What are you nervous for? You're not doing nothing wrong. You're breaking no laws. Come on, we pay their paychecks with our taxes. What are you worried They'd be worried about that. They're here to serve. Are you here? But if we have a wrong mindset, 
it affects the way that we relate. And so as we, I put this up for you, God is addressed as Father 264 times in the New Testament. And Jesus constantly refers to their relationship between a, as a father and a son. And Paul confirms this relationship. I'm going to give you some scriptures. Is that okay this morning? Yes. If we're in church, we read the Bible. Yes. Romans 8 verse 15, it said, for, God, for, uh, excuse me, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Someone say adoption. adoption. So what's it saying? If we are believers, we are now adopted by God. And we can cry out, Abba, Father, which literally means Daddy God. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then we're heirs. We all get excited about the heir part. Woo-hoo, how many of you want to be an heir? Come on, our Father owns the cattle on a thousand hill. Come on, how many of you like the trust fund? We like that part. But guess what? If you're not a son, you don't get the trust fund. If you're not a daughter, you don't get the trust fund. First of all, we got to understand we've been adopted and we come before God that we are children of God. If we're children, then we're heirs. But the relationship starts when you're a son and a daughter. You can't receive the inheritance if you don't have proper relationship. Heirs of God, it says, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, then we will also be glorified together. So it's very clear here that he's not only a father, but he's a loving father. In Romans 5 verse 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, God, Jesus Christ died for us. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his son. He gave the, the thing that was most precious to him because he loved us. Because what? He also saw us as sons and daughters. So one son died for the rest. So we could be restored in the family of God. In in 1 John 3 verse 1 it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it didn't know him. So as we are sons and daughters of God, what happens? It distinguishes us. But many times, the world doesn't recognize that. 1 John 4, verse 6, it says, We are of God, and he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Yeah. So we are adopted into the children, as, as children of God. What, when we speak, what, we speak by the spirit. We speak what our Father would, would have us to say. We walk according to a different beat. We're wanting to please our Father. We're in the family of God. And so the Apostle Paul, he, he, he begins to pray that we'd have a revelation of the love that God has for us. So great, so vast that revelation is. And he goes on in, in Ephesians 3 and verse 18. He says, as I bow my knees, as I'm praying, he said, I pray that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ was past his knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What does he say? You need to know the width, the height, the depth of the love of God. It's an all-consuming love. It's a love that, that, that is, is huge. Are you here? It's a love that, that we can't comprehend because kind of we put love in a box. We love everything. We love our dog. We love ice cream. 
We love our wife. We love our children. Come on, I love the church. We throw it together. I love swimming. I love the beach. And everything's love. But what is he talking about? This love that he's talking about is an agape love. It's an unconditional love. And we love conditionally. Come on, I love you if you put a ring on it. Come on. I love you if you take care of me. I love you if you tell me that you love me. You know, do you love me? You say it first. Our love's conditional. Are you here? But God's love is, is a love that is not conditional. And to understand God's love, we can't understand it just with our mind. Because we love conditionally. We can't understand it just with our intellect. And Paul goes on and he says here, we have to have a personal revelation. We have to have a revelation that's only revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that bears witness with sons of God. The Holy Spirit is the one that works in our life so that we can uh, comprehend. We have to all have a personal revelation of the love of God. And that's why Paul's praying in Ephesians. I pray to you individually, to you as a church, that you individually would begin to have a revelation of God's love for you. Now, we know that God loves it. How many know God loves you? But when we look at that, how do we define it? We can know it in our mind. How do you know it? In children's church, we used to learn. How do you know it? Because the Bible tells me so. (laughs) Come on. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We learn all these nursery rhymes about loving it, but, but it's an intellectual thing. But yet we live as if God doesn't love us. We live as if we're orphans and we're trying to get God's approval. We serve as if it's never enough. It's never enough. And, and we're going through life doing it, but it's never, we're never satisfied. We feel like we can never please God. Why? Because we had a dad we could never please. Because when we say the word father, what comes to mind? We many times begin to relate it to our experiences. And the problem with many Christians is they've embraced God intellectually. They have an understanding of the word of God. Their minds have been renewed, but their hearts have not been renewed. They, have a re- they don't have the revelation of the Father's love, and therefore it, it affects the, rela- the way they relate to God as Father. And I put this up for you. The whole goal of Jesus coming and dying for us was to restore us to relationship with the Father. What is Christianity about? To restore us to relationship with the Father. Well, it's to just deal with the sin problem. Well, that's part of the reason we can't relate to the Father, but the goal is not just to deal with your sin, it's to bring you back in fellowship because God is holy, sin separates us from God, but it didn't separate from his love because we read, even though we weren't worthy, he still sent his son. And even though he sent his son that all would be saved, many reject him, but he still did it. Jesus is the way to the Father. He's the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. You have to come into relationship through Jesus Christ. No other religion leads you to God. You have to believe in your heart, confess with your mouth Jesus, that Jesus died, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended to heaven. Jesus is called the second Adam because what did he do? He fixed what the first Adam messed up. But we've got to look at God's original intention. What was God's goal? To have a God-man race. 
to raise up sons that are made in his image, made in his likeness. When I say sons, daughters too, Eve was a part of that. And, and to, to those that could, they walk with him, they talk with him, he give them dominion in the earth. He made this beautiful planet for them to enjoy. Come on. And, and so God wants us to have an abundant life. Now, what causes us to be a son or a daughter? DNA. Come on. You're like, that ain't my child. They do a blood test. That's your child because your DNA matches. Come on. Some kids, you don't even need to do a blood test. You just look at him. Don't tell me that ain't your son. He's got your eyes. He's got your lips. He's got your faith. He's got your hairline. He's got your DNA. As a, as a, as a woman, too, our DNA is, is put into our children. How do we know they're children? Because of the DNA. Now, I'm not talking about natural DNA here, but our likeness, the image of God, is put into us. What does God look like? He has legs. He has arms. Why? Because he made us. He doesn't have a tail. The devil might, you know. Are you here? And so we're made, beautifully made in the image of God, to have free will, to be able to have a soul. We're, we're, we're better than any other creation because we're not just a creation. We're, we're sons. We're daughters. God wanted a family. Are you here? So when you hear the word father, what comes to mind? For many people, the image of, fa of a father is a negative one. Maybe you had a father who was absent because of divorce or death, or maybe you had a father who, who was demanding over you. You had a father who wasn't present, or maybe was there, but he was emotionally distant. Maybe you had a father who was very controlling or overly demanding, you know, and, and maybe because of that and your encounters, you have a distortion of male authority. Got real quiet here. You have a distortion of your heavenly father because of the image of a natural father. God created us, and he wants us to be transparent and totally trusting, but because of the wrong image, we're not able to love deeply. We're not able to love without reservation because we have an issue with trust. Maybe in our hearts, we don't realize it, and we're coping with life, but we're walking through life with a limp. Why? Because we've been hurt, because we've been wounded, because trust has been broken. And what happens? It causes us to be fearful. It causes us to be insecure. It causes us to be cautious. It creates a performance-orientated culture where we're just trying to get approval. And even though we tell us you did amazing, really, was it that good? Tell me again. Tell me again. Tell me again. Really, really, really? Anyone? Ten people can tell you it was amazing, but you still don't feel it. It creates a performance culture. And many times in the church, we have that culture. And ultimately, it causes us often to be angry and even to become rebellious. Where we feel like we have to survive. I will survive. And what are we doing? We're willing to do whatever it takes to look out for ourselves. Even in the movies here, I'm looking out for numero uno. I'm looking out for myself because nobody else is. And what does it boil down? It boils down to a trust issue. We can come to God, but we still don't really trust him. So we don't tithe. We don't give because we don't trust. 
Come on, we, we're not willing to, to obey the word of God because we don't trust. And we take things in our own hands, trying to get our own success, trying to look out for ourselves, because no one else is looking out for us. Yeah. And if we lose our identity as God's children, what are we becoming? Eventually we're orphans, because that's what an orphan does. They're alienated, they're alone, they have no protection that God intended in the family between a father and a mother. And they're out there scrounging for bread. They're out there trying to work. They're out there trying to make things happen. And they don't trust anyone. But in our faith, we've got to build upon the right foundation. The whole of our Christianity, it's based on the foundation of God as our Father. Even if love is offered to us and we don't understand the Father, what will happen? It will be difficult for us to receive love. It, it will be a difficult for us to trust. And that carries over into our marriage. It carries over into our relationships. It carries over into every area of our life. That's why Paul says, I pray, I've come on my knees. It's an earnest prayer that the Holy Spirit would do a deep work in his people. That the Holy Spirit would grant you wisdom and revelation, not just in your head, but in your heart. That you would understand God's love for you. And out of that love, his provision flows. Out of that love, protection flows. Out of that love, we can love other people because God loves us. The Bible says we can love God. Why? Because he first loved us. Jesus told a parable about the prodigal father to illustrate who the father was. And I don't want to have time, I want to look at the scripture today, but for those of us that know the story, let's be reminded, many times we talk about the sons. But really the focus of the story is not just on the son. The focus of the story is on the father. Because if you don't focus on the father, you don't understand the DNA that was supposed to be in the sons. And so we interpret the son's reactions based to our own wrong, wrong thinking, a wrong understanding of the father. Are you here this morning? Amen? Yes. The younger son told the father, he said this. He said, Father, give me my share of my estate. I want my inheritance now. So the father divided the property among them. And what did the son do? He, he went out and he set forth to a far country and he squandered all the wealth. He blew his trust fund. And he was so poor, famine came in the land. Severe famine, it says, and he was in need. So what did he do? He hired himself out. And the only job he could take in the country was in the fields taking care of the pigs, feeding the pigs. And the son was so hungry. The Bible says that his stomach was so hungry, he longed to eat the food the pigs were eating to fill his stomach. But no one gave him a thing. And as he came to the end of himself, and he, he tried to, and many times in sin, we're out there. We want to live our life uh, our, our own way. People, people come to us. And they want to share the gospel with us. But we don't trust the Father. So what do we say? I'm not ready yet. Oh, uh, one day maybe, but not now. Why? Because we don't trust God and we think that the life we're living now is better than the life that will happen as a son and the family. And we want that independence. Ultimately, it's rebellion. I want to do it my way. I want to do what I want, when I want. Come on. And we wear Nike because it says, just do it. (laughs) Come on. And we just want to do what we feel like. 
And, and what happened? We're spiraling down, but, but, but we, we need to begin to come to a revelation of the love of the Father so we don't hit the place, that we're not in the place where we're with the pigs. We're not in the place of destruction because the wages of sin is death. And he spiraled down. But the Bible says something. It says he came, when he came to his senses, he came to his senses. He had a wake-up call. He said, even in my father's house, he has many hired men. And they have food to eat. And here I am starving to death. He said, I'll go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worried, wor worthy to be called your son, but just let me be like a hired servant so I can have food to eat. So he got up and he went to his father. And we know the story. The Bible says when he was still a long way off, his father was looking with yearning, wanting his son to come home. Wanting his family back. And he looked and guess what? He saw this little dot coming over the hill. But this guy had a little stroll, and he recognized that stroll. He recognized why his head bopped up and down in the sun, and he looked, and he knew that his son was coming home. And so what did he do? The Bible says he ran to his son. He was filled with compassion, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, get the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his, on his feet. Kill the fatted cow, the best cow, and let's have a party. For the son of mine was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost and he was found. So let's celebrate. What is Jesus doing when he tells a story? He's telling a story. He's painting a picture of who our father is. And many times we look at the son and, come on, most sons want what they, they want their inheritance now. And most parents know if you give it to them now, they're going to blow it. But what was the, the posture of the father? What, as we look at his actions, we understand our father God. So let's look at that this morning. What is the posture of the heavenly our Heavenly Father? Four things we see Jesus is revealing about the Father. And I pray this morning you don't just get information, but you get a revelation in your heart of who God is today. What was the posture of Heavenly Father? Number one, the Father is approachable. Our Father is approachable. Notice that the son did not hesitate to go to the father and ask the father for money. The father was approachable. If he knew the father was going to say no, he never would have even asked. But he knew who the father was. And in the Eastern culture, you know, we live in a Western culture where we're gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> but in the Eastern culture, the father had absolute rule and authority yeah. in the household. No servant questioned the father. The sons didn't question the father. And in the culture, the sons were expected to serve the father until the day that he died. Yeah. Only then would they inherit their portion. So when the younger son approached his father and demanded his inheritance, literally he was telling the father, I can't wait for you to die. 
I wish you were dead now so I could have my inheritance. That was in the culture how out of order it was for the father, the son to come to the father. What an insult. But look at the father's heart. Knowing the son no longer wanted to live under his guidance and be associated with him, he still loved and he still gave his son the inheritance. This was culturally out of the norm. And Jesus was illustrating the love of the Father to even allow us to do the wrong things. He, uh, people say, why did God allow sin? Because he's a good father. He let Adam make the choice. Even knowing that the choice was the wrong choice, he didn't control Adam. And even though he's gone and he's outside of time and space, he's the alpha, omega, beginning and the end. The Bible says before the foundation of the world, before he even created the world, before he even created Adam, he knew what Adam would do. And he already determined to send Jesus to the cross. And we can't comprehend that. Because in our mind, if I know something's happening, come on, I know what's going to happen tonight. You ain't going home. I'm locking you to the bed tonight. Come on, I'm hiding the keys. But because of the Father, he's approachable. He let it play out. The second thing we see about the Father here is our Heavenly Father is respectful. Even after receiving so much disrespect for his son, the father could have easily put his son in his place and said, how dare you disrespect me? He was respectful even when he wasn't respected. He didn't lecture him. Even though he was in a position to control his son, he could have the authority to punish the son. But he treated the son with respect and even as an equal. I'm sure the father knew the younger son was going to go out and blow it. <laughs> He was aware because he knew his son. He knew what was going to happen with the inheritance. But his response was immediate. He divided his property between them. Side note here, if you're a parent, especially of a teenage child, we're aware of the father's dilemma. But sometimes what do we got to do? We've got to allow our child to make decisions as an adult and learn the consequences of his or her decisions. Deep inside, the father, just like we as parents, we want, to, we want to spare our son, our daughter, the pain. But we have to let them grow. However, many times, what we want is not always what's best for us. But even when we want something, we keep praying, we keep asking God for things that is not the best for us. He'll still give it to us sometimes to let us learn what we really need. Not what we want. The father was willing to let the son go and let, his, let him pursue his own agenda. He knew that controlling another person is not love. He knew that possessiveness is not love. That true love can only possess what it releases. And the father treated him with respect. The third thing we see in this story, are you learning something this morning? is that the father displays unconditional acceptance. And this is something so hard for us to understand because in our humanity, we don't accept unconditionally. He loved unconditionally. 
He accepted it unconditionally. The son wasted his inheritance. He decides to return home. And what's the father's first response? Told you so. Stupid boy, smack. Go into the barn like we see in the Western movies, and now you're going to be with the lowest stagehand. Serve your time. What does he do? His actions speak louder than his world. While he's a far way off, the, we see the heart of the Father. He has excitement. He's expectancy. He's been patiently waiting for his son to come to his senses. He's never given up on the son. He's never stopped hoping the son would change or that he would come back. He's waiting past patiently. He's asking himself, is this the day my son comes home? And he looks off. As soon as he sees him, his heart is filled with compassion. There's no anger. There's no judgment. There's no resentment. There's no hint of alienating his son. The father is immediately filled with tender love. For alas, his son is finally coming home. This is the day I've been waiting for. His lavish love is immediately expressed in his action. What did he do? He ran to his son. The word literally in, 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 the, he, in, the, in the Greek means he ran, he raced. He couldn't get there quick enough. Now, now you got to understand that for him to run, he was a, a statesman. And statesmen had their robes. How many of you can't run in a long robe? Which meant he had to take his robes, pull them up so he could get his legs moving. What did he do? He, he had no regard for propriety. He was willing to make a fool of himself because he was just eager to meet his boy. Can you imagine how disgusting his son must have looked? How, have you ever been around pigs? I mean, I love, we went to Taiwan and we fed some animals and there were some, what were they? Sheep. Fed the sheep. But I don't want, no one, no one goes to feed the pigs. Come on, you set up a farm to feed the pigs, you're going to go bankrupt. Just, just, come on, get the picture. It's messy. That's what the Bible says. Don't give pearls to pigs. They don't recognize. They just eat everything. They're messy. They're smelly. They're stinky. And that was his son's nine to five. And not only that, he wanted to fill his stomach. He probably did take some of the pig's food. Come on, when you're hungry, you'll eat. I could eat a horse, you'd eat pig food. He's smelly. His clothes are tattered. He's probably covered with dry pigsty dung. His, ruffle, his hair's ruffled. It's greasy. He hasn't bathed in weeks because he doesn't have money. Only the wealthy bathe. But his father doesn't care. He's overjoyed. He throws his arms around his son. He draws him close and he hugs his smelly, dirty boy. But that's not even enough. As he sees him, he doesn't just hug him, he kisses him. 
and welcomes him back with such joy. That's the Father that Father God that we have. His love is unconditional. Even when we were messy in sin, no matter what we do, He keeps loving us. His love never fails. It never gives up on us. And we see, fourthly, the character of our Heavenly Father, that He lavishes His love abundantly. That His love is not conditional. His love is not measured. He lavishes his love abundantly. What does the father do next? Go get a bath, boy. You stink. No. He doesn't even talk about that. What does he do? He, the son tries to give his rehearsed speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I want to just be one of like your own servant. And the father doesn't even hear him. He doesn't even respond. He turns to his servants immediately and says, fetch the robe and put it on him. He didn't negotiate with him. He didn't rub his face in it. The culture of the robe, the robe was only for festive ceremonial things, occasions. It was, they put the robe on when visiting dignitaries would come. By putting on the robe on the sun, what was he saying? I completely forgive you. You are valuable. You are precious to me. As precious as the most respected as the most dignitary out there. But the father didn't stop there. He says, get the ring. Put the ring on his finger. The ring was a symbol of the, it was the family signet ring. By putting the, the ring on the son's finger, what was he telling him? He was, the father was saying, I'm accepting you back in the family as a full-fledged member. With all rights, with all authority. He restored him in a place of sonship. But this wasn't enough. The father continued to lavish his love. And what did he say? He saw the dirty bare feet of his son which was a sign of poverty. People who were poor didn't have shoes. And what did he say? Put some sandals on his feet. He's no longer poor. He's no longer in poverty. Put some shoes on his feet. He's saying he's no longer poor. He has everything he needs. The father's love was boundless and he expressed and he commanded his servants. He said, get the best calf. Slaughter the best steak. Come on. Get, get that boy some Kobe beef that's marbled. Come on. Get him the good stuff. Give him a steak. Give him a ribeye dinner tonight. Come on. Prepare a feast for him. That was his extravagant love. Was this excessive? Yes, but love is expressive. Love is, 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 is excessive and expressive. It's abundant. It's not measured. People say, you know, what, is, what do you get me for Christmas? What's your budget? Because I'm going to set my budget. Come on. Nice people that we do those, you know, gift exchange sometimes. Like, you only get $15. People came in with a $30 gift. You're like, what's wrong with you? 
$15 only, you know. But why? Because love is, there's no limits. I just wanted to. I just wanted to do something. But I gave you, and we feel bad. Come on. You give me a gift, I give you a gift. You don't give me a gift, I don't give you a gift. You give me a card, I just give you a card. You can give me a card, I can give you nothing. <laughs> and love becomes transactional. Yeah. In a marriage, you do this for me, I do this for you. Yeah. Come on, you didn't cook for me, I ain't taking out the trash. Wow. Come on. You didn't, re- you didn't treat me this way, I ain't giving you none. Come on. Talk to the hand. And we bring in the culture, we can bring this culture into the church where we treat people like slaves rather than sons and daughters. Where we say we're raising up an army. And yes, we're an army, but we're first a family. Are you here? When you're a family, you'll fight together. Come on. You all know you have that sibling you can't get along with, but somebody starts picking on you. My sister was that way. We, could, we fought like crazy when we were young. But if anybody picked on me, my sister would take them down. <laughs> because we're family. I'm not promoting that, but you get the picture. The son had complete disrespect for his father. He wasted his abundance. The son didn't deserve that kind of love. Anybody would say, what's wrong with you? Teach that boy a lesson. But the father lavished it on him anyway. This is our heavenly father. As we look at our heavenly father, what can we see about our father? What kind of father is he? He's a father that's approachable. We can approach him. And he allows us to approach him as an equal. Not equal. He knows who he is. Not that we're ever equal with God. I'm not saying that. But boldly approach the throne of grace. How many of you know what, my kids, they'll walk into the green room. I can be in the middle of talking. We can be in the middle of praying. The tears flowing. And they're like, Dad. Because we're their parents. We're approachable. Amen. When they come home, they don't knock on the door On the front door, they slam the front door. (laughs) They don't text, can I go into the refrigerator? I'm feeling a little hungry. Is it okay if I get a snack? They're in there eating all the snacks and leaving them open. (laughs) Why? Because they're sons. They have a right to to think. We tell them going out is a privilege. Eating at home is a right. We're going to feed you. Because that's our role. Feed you, clothe you, get through your school, teach you values, help you to learn responsibilities. So that's our role. They're not asking for permission to use the washing machine. They're not asking for permission to turn on the shower. Is it okay I shower? How many minutes do I get? Sometimes I'm like, you're in there too long. What are you doing? Come on. I'm relaxing. And you're charging up my water bill. Come on. Think about it. The father is approachable. The father is respectful. He respects us as sons, as daughters, and gives us access to them. Even when we're wrong, his, his, he displays unconditional acceptance. Even when we're wrong, we can come before God 
I feel shameful. We don't have to be shameful. He saw what we did. He was there with us when we did it. Think about that. David says, where can I go from your presence? I attend to the highest mountain. You're there. Even the darkest, dirtiest place, you're there. Well, God is, how can, he's there? But he still loves us. And he still lavishes his love abundantly on us. What's the illustration of this story? Because many of us as Christians, and if you're a Christian here today, we understand what Jesus has done for us. And many of us, we put on the robe. I'm a son, I'm a daughter. We enter into the courtroom. We receive our pardon. Not guilty. You're not going to hell. You're no longer under a curse. We receive forgiveness. We've identified with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know we're justified by Christ. We know we're righteous. We know we're born again, but we've ended there. That's not the full story. Not only does he want to make us righteous and restore us, but he wants to put a ring on our finger where you enter the living room. Come on. You enter into the joy. You enter into what it means to be a son. You're not on the outside trying to break in, still trying to live like you're with the pigs. We like to hustle. And I'm a person, I work hard. But what's the point? Are we trying to get approval? Are we trying to keep up with everyone else? Look at my ministry. Look at what I'm doing. Are we just loving our Father and just doing what He wants us to do because we love Him? Because we love Him, we're obedient. Because we love Him, we want to please Him. Because we're building our Father's house. Because it's an inheritance. Many times we put on the robe and, and we know we're not under the curse of sin, but we don't have our ring on. We don't want to enter what the living room is, and we're going to talk about what the living room is in the next few weeks. We have never, we put on the road, but we've never received our adoption as a son, as a daughter of God, and received the love of the Father like, like we see in the story. And because of that, we've not entered into the authority, the inheritance that he's promised us. We're still operating like orphans, doing things in our own strength, trying to make things happen in our own strength. And, oh, I'm so tired. Still struggling. Still concerned with what other people are thinking about us and say about us. Trying to do it in our own flesh. The whole law, the Bible says, the Old Testament came to let us know we can't do it <laughs> in our own strength. You can't keep the Ten Commandments in your own strength. Come on, you had envy and jealousy driving by to, to, to church this morning. When you looked at somebody else's car. When you looked at the hill, the house up on the hill. Come on. We can't do it. The heart of man is wicked. But when we come to Jesus what does he do? He breaks the power of that over us. He puts a ring on our finger. He brings us in. He puts shoes on our feet so we don't have to be poverty, live in poverty and lack. Maybe we grew up and every time we wanted something, our, our parents said, you can't have that. It's too expensive. You can't have that. It's too expensive. So when we come to God, we think God doesn't want to give anything to us because it's too expensive. And we relate as an orphan 
doing things in our own strength. But Jesus, he put this love story from the heart of God so each of one of us could see, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, no matter what we've thought, God still loves us. God is yearning for you and longs for a relationship with you. He's always approachable. He's always respectful. I'd like every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed this morning. Maybe you're watching online or maybe you're here in this place and to hear this message, the love of God is here. But you're feeling that way just as I'm saying this morning. You, you want God's purpose for your life. You, you want to walk in abundance, but you're living like an orphan. You think, well, because of what I've done, because of what I struggle with my life, that, that God would never accept me. God is holy. There, there, I can't, he would never want me. Friends, like the prodigal father, he's looking for you to come home. When will you make the decision? Well, today, this Sunday, August 13th be the day that you come home. He made a, a way for you to approach him that, that he sent his son to die to take away your curse, to pay the price for the consequences of sin so that you, as you put your faith in Jesus, could now have the, door, the, the, the opportunity to come through Jesus to the Father. Will you come home today? Will you receive the love of the Father? Will you know that he's not here to condemn you. Jesus said he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. He didn't come to, to sheep that had a shepherd. He came to those that were orphaned, that those without a shepherd. Will you allow him to be your shepherd today? Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. If you're here in this place, you say, Pastor, I want to I wanna come home. I want to be restored to relationship with my heavenly Father, with my God. Would you pray for me so I can leave this place with the understanding I can journey with my Father that loves me, that's for me, that's not against me, so that I could experience His love and walk in the purpose and the plan that my Father has for me, so I can have the inheritance that He wants to give me. Every head's bowed, every eyes closed up. That's you. You say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want you to just lift up your hand right now. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Is there anyone here? Lift up your hand. Say, I want to I wanna come to back to my Father. I want to receive that relationship. I see that hand. I see the hand. Is there anyone else? Come on. You're watching online. Just say, wherever you are, say, say Pastor, pray for me. I want to receive Jesus. I want to be restored to relationship with the Father. Come on. Is there anyone else? We'll wait for you. Anyone else? Come home today. He loves you. He loves you. If you lifted your hand just now, or you wish you had, I want you to pray this prayer together with me in church. I want us to, to echo this prayer together. Why do, how do we receive Jesus? It's just coming home. Just saying, Father, forgive me for what I've done, for living life independently from you. Jesus, I open my heart to receive you right now. Thank you for dying for me so that I could live. I believe that you died. On the third day you rose again. You ascended into heaven. And you're coming back again. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus 
thank you for loving me. I open my heart to receive your love right now. I thank you that I am a child of God. Old things have passed away. You're putting on the robe on me today. You're putting a ring on me. Shoes on my feet. I am a, I'm a child of God. I thank you right now for loving me. Come on, just lift your hands right now. If you're watching a line here in this place. Father, I just pray for that assurance of your love. Just touch every heart right now. Touch every life right now. God, remove the shame. God, remove God, the frustration, remove depression. God, remove the darkness over their lives today. We thank you the light of the gospel has come. The light of Jesus has come. And God, we thank you that they can come before you, that you are their father. You are our father. You are our father. We thank you for loving us so that we can love you. Come on, let's stand on our feet. Come on, just begin to love it. We love you, Father. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for who you are in our lives. We honor you. We honor you. We love you. We love you. We thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, that we can cry, Daddy God you are good, good Father. It's who you are. In the remaining moments that we have, I want you to ask yourself, for those of us that maybe you're children of God, you know that. But maybe today you realize there are things that are holding you back for coming deeper with your Father, God, this morning. Maybe there's issues of trust and and you realize because you look this morning as the word's coming, you realize that you're relating your heavenly father to your earthly father. Maybe there are things that your earthly father has done that have caused you to, it's it's brought a misrepresentation of your heavenly father. Which attribute of the prodigal father is most difficult for you to believe this morning and receive from God? Is it that you're able to approach him? Is it that you're respected by him? Is it that he has unconditional acceptance of you? Or maybe it's that his forgiveness is complete and unconditional and you're living just trying to do all the right things and in bondage, trying to get approval. Or maybe it's about him adopting you as a child of God. Maybe it's about him trusting him and his purpose for your life. And you have a financial concern in your life. Would you imagine your father running to you this morning? in the midst of all of that turmoil, in the midst of all that motion, and just imagine him running you, to, running to you today as he ran to the prodigal son. He's running to greet you. 
What might the robe and the ring and the sandals signify to your current situation? Today, would you receive the love of the Father? Would you see Him wrapping you in His arms, kissing you, hugging you, celebrating that you are His daughter, celebrating that you are His son, telling you it doesn't matter what you do or you don't do, I love you. I provided for you. I have a future for you par above what you can think or imagine. You have an inheritance because of who I am, not because of who you are, what you've done. That you are in the family and I love you. I'm watching over you. I'm protecting you. I celebrate you this morning. Would you lift your hands? Just receive his love this morning. Come on. Receive that love. Receive that love. Some are crying this morning. Some, there's tears in your eyes. Come on, let go of the control. Let go of the fear. Let go of the striving. Come on, what are the things that have been weighing you down? Let go this morning and receive the love of your Father. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved this morning. Nothing you can do can separate you from the love of your father. Look what the prodigal son did, but his father still respected him. He still loved him. He still wanted him to experience the inheritance. He's holy. We have to come home, but he makes the way for us to come home. We thank you. You're a good, good father. We honor you this morning. We love you this morning. Show us your love. Remind us of who you are. That we wouldn't just understand with our minds, but in our hearts. We embrace your love this morning. We embrace you this morning. We thank you. We thank you that we are your son, that we are your daughter. Come on, just in your mind, say thank you that I'm your son. I'm your daughter. Thank you. Thank you for loving me. We thank you, God. And Father, we just pray today will be a new day. As we go through this series, God, it will be a time of renewing minds and a time of engaging hearts, a time of us, God, opening our eyes and our perspective to who you are, to what you've given, to this life that we have, to your original design for us, that you have raised us up as a family. Here in Alive Church, God, we are your family. You are our Father. Jesus, you are our example. You're the head of the church. You're building a people called by your name, a people that are sons and daughters, a people that are moving in authority and power, a people that are moving in provision because we have an inheritance, because you're a good, good father. We honor you. We glorify you. We thank you for loving us. Come on, give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. Jesus, Jesus, yeah.